You're listening to the Food Fight Podcast. I'm Matt Eastland. And I'm Lakshmi Baltasan. And both Matt and I are from EIT Food, Europe's leading food innovation initiative, working to make the food system more sustainable, healthy, and trusted. So over the course of the series of podcasts, we're inviting guests from all areas of the food industry to talk to us about how we can tackle some of the world's biggest food challenges, and most importantly, how we can fight for a better future of food. Today, we're looking at the topic of food safety. Now, I know for some of you, that's not going to sound like the sexiest of subjects, and call me Captain Sensible, but for the food industry and for us, the consumer, it is really important. Absolutely right, Matt. So if you're a person with a nut allergy, for example, this will be absolutely on your radar. But for some of us who are fortunate enough not to have any allergies, it's likely you've barely even considered the food that you eat, aside from watching out for use-by dates. Yeah, that's right. And how often do we actually question ourselves, you know, is the food that I eat safe? So you wouldn't buy a car without checking it, working brakes and seatbelts. So is it really safe for us to trust everything we put in our mouths? To help us explore that question, we're excited to welcome two guests. Joining us from Toronto in Canada, I'd like to welcome Jade Khan. Jade is the founder of Food Maestro, a company that helps answer the question, can I eat this, by building consumer apps that help us navigate our dietary needs, as well as working directly with big retailers such as Sainsbury and Walmart. Welcome to The Food Fight. Nice to be here. Thank you, guys. Wonderful. And alongside Jade, we also have Bridge Sahi with us here in the studio. So Bridge is the co-founder of a company called Swiss Decode that helps farmers and food manufacturers to grow and produce food that is safe to eat by providing rapid food safety solutions. Swiss Decode are pioneering things like portable DNA testing and helping companies identify contaminants that may harm their product quality, such as things like listeria, salmonella, vegetal material and pork meat. So hello, Bridge. Hello, thank you for having me. Great to have you. So we're going to get into all of this in a second, but first, both Bridge and Jade, I think for the listeners, it might be really great just to start at the beginning. So for everybody listening, what is your definition of food safety and why is it so important? So Bridge, maybe we can start with you. My definition of food safety is essentially food has to be safe to eat. We have to be able to trust what's in front of us and we don't have to test it before we eat it. Excellent. Love that. And Jade? Yeah, so, so building on that, we, from a food maestro perspective, we've come out the other end of the value proposition. So absolutely food has to be safe and you have to be able to trust it. Um, but on the other end of that conversation is also we need to be able to understand what that means. And as consumers, understanding what we're reading and having that translated to us is equally as important as knowing what's in the product itself. And so it's really about reading the label, the information in the label, and, and what does that mean to me? So this past year, the whole concept of food safety has really come to light through a number of high-profile cases. So, for example, there was a teenage girl that died on a flight from a severe sesame allergy after it was reported she ate a sandwich, where actually the allergen, sesame allergen, was not listed as an ingredient. And this has caused a lot of uh, debate, sparked a lot of debate around, specifically around food labeling. And of course, who can forget the horse meat scandal? Uh, which was a scandal that took place in all parts of Europe where foods were advertised as containing beef were found to contain pieces of horse meat. So this is, you know, essentially food fraud. So for you, Jed, especially, are these examples of food scandals that really motivated you to start your company? Yeah, absolutely. So Food Maestro was founded actually from a personal experience with my son as a severe nut and egg allergy. 
and we gave him something to eat or specifically I gave him something to eat one day which did not have the word nut or eggs within it what it did have was icing sugar and icing sugar was made from the egg whites in the product right. okay. and and that caused for him to have a, a very severe reaction now this is a while ago pre-1169 uh, regulations coming in and so what it comes down to is it's not just about manufacturers declaring the information it's also about us understanding well, what does that information mean to me and and as a parent I did not know that icing sugar was made from egg whites and therefore he would have a reaction to, to, that, um, to, to that product specifically because I'm looking for the word nut, I'm looking for the word egg. Um, but as, as, as we think about the broader consumers, there's a problem that resonates, even with 1169s in place, right? And it's how do you make it easy for customers to read that label, translate the information on that label and make a determination that, yes, this is something I can eat. And so I guess based on that, then would you say that it's like access to that information and awareness that are the two key things that you're trying to communicate? Well, it's access to that information, absolutely. But it's also access to that information in this day and age. Mm -hmm. So when we think about the average consumer, about 70 to 80% of the consumers that have an allergy actually have more than one allergy. If you think about the time it takes for that consumer to read a label and say, can I eat this, right? So if you've got two allergies, on average, it's about a minute and a half. Now take that journey through a superstore for a second. What will typically happen, like with my son, is you know what, stick to the thing that you know, right? Mm. Um, because you don't have time to constantly pick up everything. Now in a day and age where we're talking about digital, we're talking about data-led strategies uh, through every major retailer or brand, that's not a problem that we should have anymore. And so it's how do you make that information accessible? Um, but it's also consistency. So when you take the may contain statements as an example, if we look at the UK marketplace, there are probably over 3,000 different ways of saying may contain nut. Now, I don't know how all the brands are unable to get to a consistent this may contain nut, um, but the variations range from may contain traces of nut, may contain nut, uh, produced in a factory with nut, so on and so forth. But you have over 3,000 variations of may contain nut. And you have to wind that back and say, well, what does that really mean, right? So for a consumer, for someone like my son, um, can he eat it? Can he not eat it? Are we dealing with true issues? I'm sure Bridge will talk about, you know, does it truly have nuts in it? Or is it just an alibi statement to get out of compliance issues and potentially uh, legal obligations when it comes to risk? I had no idea there were so many different ways of saying there are nuts in products. So that that's really interesting. And, also and imagine if you have a nut and egg allergy now, right? So you, yeah, that, that, that just multiplies. Yeah. What's left for you to eat? <laughs> so um, sort of the same similar question to you, Bridge. So what's really what's inspired you to become involved in the food safety industry? So the WHO states that over 600 million people every year suffer from food poisoning. That's one in 10. Wow. And out of the 600 million people, around about uh, 45,000 die because of food poisoning. Mm. So this is a, a very, very significant issue. And this is one of the reasons why I've moved into what we do at Swistycode. But I would actually like to share with you also my co-founder's story, Giampaolo. And he moved, uh, we moved together into Swistycode uh, with a horse meat scandal. So when he saw a lot of his colleagues leaving the university and going to work for labs doing, and just to do DNA tests in labs for horse meat in uh, beef or whatever, lasagna, he decided that it wasn't for him. That's not what he wanted to do. <laughs> and he knew that what we really needed was a revolutionary change in the way that we approach food safety. And if I can just pick up on a point that uh, Jade made about may contain nut 
All right, so the complexities of food manufacturing are increasing. The, the customers, they want choice. So what ends up happening is you get a factory with, say, two production lines, maybe producing up to 50, 60, 70 different products at different times, doing small batch runs. Mm -hmm. And so the chances of cross-contamination, whether it's nuts or eggs or whatever, increases as a result of this complexity. And so now, if I give you a, another real example, if you just take uh, yogurt, as you know, the trend today is for almonds. Mm -hmm. Okay, everything's yeah. Yeah, almond yeah. milk, almond. I am partly part of that problem, I'm afraid. <laughs> okay, so we know of factories where they have dairy and almond on the same production lines. And we know that they have to try and make sure that the lines are thoroughly cleaned before they switch from one batch to another. But... Accidents happen, mm. mistakes happen. And is this where your DNA testing technology comes in? How does that make that situation better, shall we say? Okay, so in, in this particular case, um, what's required is a test that can basically detect any vegetable material. So it doesn't matter what type of nut it is, it should be able to detect it. And then what's very important is the speed. So most tests, if you send something to a laboratory, is going to take about uh, seven days to get the results. So what the manufacturing companies tend to do is they tend to switch from one line to another. They'll produce the first batch, and then that first batch goes to the laboratory, and then they keep producing and hope that when the test results come back, it's negative, that they, it's okay, the batch is okay. Mm -hmm. But then when the batch is not okay, it has to be destroyed, or they can take a risk. And they can just ship the batch, and some companies do this. And this is why you get all these recalls taking place. Right. And uh, what's really required is a more rapid test. And this is where we come in, because our test is able to differentiate uh, and deliver a result in 30 minutes. 30 minutes. And yeah. what's, what's the usual time? Days. Wow. Days, up to seven days. Impressive. And I guess, Bridge, so, I mean, you're talking about it across the, that food industry manufacturing piece. Um, Jade, when you get to the consumer, how are your apps then really helping people understand, you know, what kind of food they can eat or not? You know, can you give us some examples of, you know, how this actually works or how, what it looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So if you think about it, I think the comment was made earlier around, you know, what can you, what's left to eat, right? And this whole notion of freedom in food. Um, whether it's our app or let's take a typical retailer's website, if you go in, I'll give you an example. We did an, ex uh, an analysis for a retailer a couple of weeks ago. They searched for milk-free snacks, right? Mm -hmm. And what should have been resulting in giving the customer a choice of around 300 products, they actually got back only 35 products. Out of the 35, the first four actually contained milk. Wow. Um, so what's actually happening is, and, and, and that was on the ingredient label, nothing to do with the manufacturer. What's happening is the data is not accessible for the retailers and other digital um, parties to go and use that data. So what we're doing is we're taking that ingredient data and we're making it usable. We're understanding the information. We're making, we, we live in a stage where technology is evolved and we can process this stuff in real time um, and then present it back to customers. So what you'll now see is if you go into a typical website, you'll see 300 products that you were supposed to see and you won't see the four that actually contain milk. You'll see the right 300 products. What you're doing is you're giving the customer choice. Choice of products that actually already exist, but they just didn't know it existed and it's very difficult to find. Again, think about the shopping experience. If you look through an e-commerce experience, you're not going to go product by product by product looking at every single ingredient label 
you know, yeah. three clicks per product for you to decide if that works. If you're in a store, you're not going to pick up every single product on the shelf, on the aisle. And so you want to do that really, really quickly. Um, but you also want to find all the right ones. And that's, that's where we really come in. We enable that data and then we enable that personalized conversation based on the labeled inv information, right? So whether you're creating personal profiles um, and then scanning barcodes or performing a search to find the product, or you're doing it online through an e-commerce platform, the idea is you're going to find more products and you're going to find them quicker. Now with something simple like a, an allergy, it's quite binary. You know, if it's a nut allergy, it's a nut allergy and you're looking for nut. When you get into things like people following the low FODMAP diet for IBS, for example, it starts to get a lot more complicated. Um, multiple ingredients involved, and it's absolutely personalized to the individual and the stage that they're on within that diet. And so it needs to become super personalized. So if you think about the 14% of the population that have IBS and the people, the subset of those following the low FODMAP diet, it's an extremely complicated, stressful process. And that's where we come in. You know, we, we have the data, we've read the food labels, and we're working with the brands, we're working with the major data aggregators to centralize that information, structure that information, and that make that accessible either through one of our apps in partnership with people like the NHS or through retailers themselves who are serving the millions of customers every day. So we're going from something that's really consumer-facing, consumer-friendly, easy to use, and we have something complex like DNA testing. So just be really interesting here from you, like why why DNA testing? Do we need something this complicated to be able to really unpick food safety? So DNA testing is the gold standard. There are other types of testing out there, but uh, they're not acceptable to the food industry. So uh, generally they're not acceptable, certainly in the area of food safety, they're not acceptable. Uh, DNA testing um, is tried and proven that it works, that it can identify uh, food safety issues as and when required. And I, I'd like to pick up one thing that Jade mentioned as well, because I think one of the challenges that Jade and his app will have is the speed of change. Because, and also looking at uh, national boundaries as well, where food manufacturers actually change ingredients based on local taste. Mm-hmm. And so I can imagine the complexity coming in because of that. And also just because, I, I'll take a simple example, Kit Kat. Okay, everyone knows Kit Kat here in the UK, in Canada, we know Kit Kat. But you know what? They have tens of hundreds of different flavors of Kit Kat in Japan. Really? I thought Kit Kat was the same everywhere. No, <laughs> you can have a personalized Kit Kat where every bar is a different flavor. Oh, wow. Okay. So can you imagine trying to keep up with the pace of that sort of change and that sort of personalization and customization? So I can imagine from an allergy perspective, it's difficult. It's going to be very difficult for Jay to keep up with something like that. But from a food safety perspective, because food safety is fairly standard type stuff and we know what we're doing, it's, it's okay for us. But in this changing marketplace of customization and personalization, more and more challenges will come up. There's no doubt about that. And so it's interesting you're talking about challenges. I mean, I guess a lot of people know about uh, things like you know food prep hygiene, but where else along that supply chain are, are these challenges? You know, where else is food safety most compromised from your experience? Food safety is compromised every step of the way. Uh, if I just give you some examples, take spices. Mm -hmm. okay. mm -hmm. Spices tend to have a high incidence of salmonella. 
it's a well-known fact within the industry and it has spices have to be treated to make sure that the end product is okay and safe to eat something else i didn't know okay yeah. and then you have uh, essentially if you think of the listeria so we've all heard about the recalls in north america where uh, the one particular brand of lettuce a type of lettuce was actually banned across the united states because of listeria and it took them nine months to find the source Mm-hmm. So where was what was this source at the end of the day? There was one particular farm. Uh, the, the field that the lettuce was growing in was below a reservoir. And above the reservoir, there was an animal t- trail. Right. So the animals were doing what they do, mm-hmm. going into the reservoir, and the water was being used to f- uh, water the lettuce. Wow. So really food safety can come in at any step so that lettuce was then taken to a collection center and it was mixed with lettuce from other farms so everything became contaminated and even though this lettuce is washed with washed with cold water so it has to retain the freshness when it ended up in the supermarkets and into the restaurants it was contaminated and then we have cases of uh, chipotle in uh, North America as well, Mm -hmm. and they had cases of E. coli. And this is a restaurant. And where did that come from? I I cannot remember the exact source, but um, E. coli can come from staff, not washing their hands Mm, properly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So it can be introduced at every step uh, of the supply chain, all the way from the farm right up to the customer. Okay, so going from like, you know, what are the challenges facing the food industry on the whole to your both specific uh, areas? So what are the what are the key challenges that, you know, Foodmeister and Swiss Decode have and how are you tackling them? So, and I think Bridge kind of touched on some of the complexity around the data and the challenges. So if you talk about human interaction, um, it's also there in labeling. And, and, you know, the bit, the biggest challenge we, we tend to find is in two areas. One is someone has just mislabeled something, mm-hmm. right? Forgot to put something in or just there's a contradiction and conflict. The other one is also understanding, and we see this a lot. So sugar-free, right? We, when we see things that have a claim on sugar-free, and whether that's been added to the physical pack label, to a digital label that's been on an e-commerce site somewhere, and then you pick up the pack and it says 16 grams of sugar, right? <laughs> And what people are actually getting confused with is no added sugar versus sugar free. Mm. Two very different things. Um, And and the education just isn't there and the distinction isn't there. So what you have is people who don't have the right education. It's gone through the supply chain, past the testing process, into the hands of someone who is more commercial or store or customer orientated, putting in information about a product and misunderstanding what that means. Um, another great example is lactose-free being labeled as milk-free. Right. Two very different things. Yeah. Um, but there's that common misconception that a lot of people will hold is lactose-free means milk-free. Um, and of course, if you don't suffer from an allergy and you're not educated on these things, you're going to make those common mistakes and you're going to go with that common assumption. Now, as much as there are regulations downstream, some of that post the physical pack label the regulations are not necessarily as tight, or the, let me rephrase that, the controls are not necessarily as tight. And so what you're seeing is a lot of errors and a lot of emissions. And so we spend a lot of time doing things like conflict checks, looking at product, understanding what's what, and automatically, programmatically going through hundreds of thousands of products each day, saying, hey, are all those updates correct? Did something change? Did it change in the right way? Does it have a conflict? Um, and if so, then pass it back to the right party to get that conflict resolved. 
So you mentioned a lot about, you know, mislabeling and misdirection of the consumer. So whose responsibility should it be? Is it is it the retailer? Is it the consumer's responsibility? And I guess that's what you're addressing. But where do you think the responsibility lies? Well, and that's a great point. And I think that's where the biggest dilemma is. So after we go beyond physical pack label, when we're then promoting that product through various digital channels, um, there are many hands that touch that data from retailer to the national brand itself. And then there's ultimately the consumer interpreting that. Ultimately, the brands need to hold responsibility because it, it is their data. And this is where we kind of come in with the brand approved content, where we really try and push the brands to come in and approve that content. And it's about making that process simple and standardized. Um, are we there yet? Absolutely not. We're seeing initiatives such as Smart Label in the US, which is really pushing for some of that uh, to get brand approved content into a common place to get that additional information. And hopefully we'll see some of that flow through into Europe and, and uh, other parts of the world. But you, you've got to remember there's physical pack label, there's only limited space. And so, you know, the traditional concepts and the mindset has been use that space for branding, marketing, but also providing consumer information. Mm -hmm. And we cannot have every single possible potential conversation on that physical pack label. Where we live in a world of digital, mm -hmm. um, where data can be extended and infinite, and this is really where we come in to extend that data. Um, now the brands have an opportunity to finally go and do more. And it's about bringing them to the table to say, look, you have that opportunity to do more. We've standardized it. We've brought it to a place where simply you need to review and approve. How, how do we get the brands into that conversation? That's really where we're at at the moment. Yeah, it sounds really encouraging. I mean, Bridge, is this something you agree with? Absolutely. I think uh, the brands t have to take the responsibility because they're delivering that final product to the customer. There are already standards in place which states that before a product can be released, it must be free of salmonella or listeria or whatever it may be, and they are responsible for that. Um, I just wanted to bring something up. So I had the you know, good fortune of being sat in front of a whole load of consumers fairly recently. We were actually asking them questions about trust and you know food safety and things like that. And we were asking about you know who do they trust in the food sector. And actually somebody stood up and they said, you know what? I don't actually have a problem with the big food producers because my assumption is that they are doing what they're meant to do and the food that they produce is safe. Then they said, actually, the thing that I'm most scared about is going down to my local shop and I see that there's food there which was there the day before and the day before that. And I'm wondering, can I eat that? So, you know, is there is there a variation, do you think, in standards between like the big boy producers and the small shops down the road? Yes, I think there is. Um, if I can just say from a manufacturer's perspective, the rules are absolutely clear as to what they have to do before they release the food. But then what happens after it's been released? I'll give you a very good example. Okay, frozen food and listeria. So there is a standard which says you're allowed to have X number of uh, listeria molecules, I'll just call them for now, in frozen food. Because the assumption is that anybody who buys frozen food is going to cook it, okay, mm -hmm. and they're going to heat it up, it's going to be really hot, and it's going to be eaten. But then consumers decide that they want to make uh, smoothies. Right. So they're going to take some frozen carrots or some frozen peas or some frozen whatever, not heat it up, just put it into a blender and drink it. And so habits change as well, and now manufacturers are having to change as well. 
So to make sure that people who are making these smoothies, they have to make sure that there's actually zero listeria in the frozen food as well. Right. And, and these are the sort of changes that happen with manufacturers as consumers' uh, taste change as well. I'm, I'm glad you said that because I have to admit I was then terrified of like having my morning smoothie. <laughs> so that that's good to know. <laughs> So, Jade, going back to you, uh, so this is a question that we had from some consumers through our social media. And one of the key questions that come out is, can consumers actually really trust the food labels are accurate for allergen information? Do you think the current system is good enough? Um, look, I'm talking as a parent here now, right, yeah. of, a, of a child who has a severe nut and egg allergy. And, and I'll say the same thing I say to my son. When you're picking it off the shelf, read the label before you buy it. When you're putting it in the cupboard, read the label before you put it in. When you're consuming it, read the label before you consume it, right? So, you know, forgiving everything that's happened in the supply chain where Bridge is talking about, you know, all the controls and processes, and then you are absolutely reliant upon the information on the label as a consumer. You don't see anything before that. That's where the trust with the brand comes in, right? And, and you're trusting that the information on the label is there. But also with someone with severe allergies, like my son, you're trusting that that product you're about to consume and the information that brands put on there, you're trusting your life into that information, mm -hmm. literally. And you just really got to be clear that you're understanding how that message is being communicated and what it means to you. I have a friend of mine as an example who does not need to consume nuts. If she's barely in a room where there are nuts, she will have a severe reaction. Wow. Right? Um, and, and, and so you have to take all of those factors into consideration. Is it, is it strictly down to trusting brands are being honest and doing the right thing? I don't think so. I think everybody has a responsibility. Um, everyone is trying their best. Some could do better. Absolutely. Um, and there are opportunities. But, you know, ultimately, you're the one that's suffering. You've got to make sure that you've you've done everything you can because you're putting your life in the hands of that piece of information in that moment. And I guess um, sort of going beyond the responsibility from brands, you know, there's food compliance and we have the Food Standards Agency. There's a big role for government to play. Do you both think that's enough? Do you think governments actually should be stepping in and doing more now? Because we're hearing, I feel like we're hearing more and more now about these scandals and allergens and unfortunate deaths. I think that um, we hear more because more gets caught up in social media. Okay. I think there were a lot of things happening in the past, but it was just never communicated so well. I think that it, I, I take two different perspectives on this, okay? So you've got the standard setting agencies, be the government, FSA, whoever. And uh, I, I think they're doing a good job. They're trying to do the best they can with what they know and the technologies that are available. I think that the, the supply chain all the way from the farm all the way to the consumer they're trying to do the best that they can, but I think they can do better. I think if there was an opportunity to do more food safety tests, I think they would. This is a message I certainly get from them, but it's got to be cost-effective and optimal. And this is an approach that we're taking from at Swiss Decode. We're saying you don't have to wait seven days and we can offer you something that will be cost-effective and you get the result in a much shorter period of time. And I think as time goes on, this will develop more and more and more. And I certainly hope for, for Swiss Decode's sake. But I, I think I'd like to take it to one, one step further as well and to Jade's point. Here we are, if, if there's a plate of food in front of me and it's not from one of the big manufacturers, it's not from a big brand, and I'm not sure if I can eat it or if I trust it enough to eat it. There has to be a test 
which is simple, which takes seconds, which is as simple as a, a pregnancy test. You know, there's mm. a color change of some sort to say this food contains X. Mm. Right. And there has to be that type of test. I think this will come about. Okay, from a technology perspective, and I say that because I know what we're working on. <laughs> right? And I think this will come about. And I think once this comes about and it's cheap enough, because it has to be cheap, okay, and if it's cheap enough and we can make it available to anyone and everyone and certainly all the allergy sufferers out there, then I think that'll start to make a difference as well. I think that's important. Okay, so taking all of that into account, so both of you said that like the, the food industry and the food chain, massively complex, consumer choice is driving more and more different flavours of various different things like Kit Kats. Do you think that the technologies that you're both working on are going to ever be able to like eradicate these, um, these food safety problems across the food chain? Or are we always going to have them, but we're just going to be constantly fighting it? At the end of the day, it's a statistical matter. Okay, so if you have a 20-ton lorry, as an example, and you have to do sampling, okay, you have to be statistically comfortable that you have, if it's there, you've caught it, mm -hmm. okay? If you're, ish, if you're producing five, no, 500 packets of sausages and you have to do a sampling process, then again, you have to be comfortable that mm. you've caught it statistically. Mm. So I think the issues will reduce because I think that there will be better processes in the future. I think that uh, even with the complexity that uh, the manufacturers can handle it, and they're certainly trying to do their best to handle it, there will be new technologies that will allow them to do things quicker, faster, on-site, rapidly. And uh, so I think it's very positive what's happening in that space. Over to you, Jade. Yeah, look, I think there's a number of different things there, right? Thanks, Bruce. But Let's take it back to the consumer. Ultimately, the consumer holds the power. And when, when the consumer choice, and we've talked about changing habits and changing preferences, when the consumer says, I want to do something different, I want to eat something different, you know, you know Matt mentioned earlier the smoothies, and you know, he's one of the guys on the almond train and, and, and what have you. Uh, no, it's all good. You know, you created a new market. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the point, right? So you're seeing new brands come up and some of them may be ankle biters. Some of them may be brands that are being driven by the big corporations. But you're seeing a distinct shift where brands are recognizing the size of the market. And when you recognize the size of the market, immediately things start to change. And so as we're having this growth and these kind of changing preferences, whether it be lower calories, cleaner food, safer food, free from, you know, these are the largest drivers in terms of growth when it comes to certainly packaged goods. So if you talk to any major retailer globally, uh, health and wellness will be part of their strategic objectives over the next few years. And, and, and that's not driven by the retailers or the manufacturers, that's driven by consumers saying, this is what we want. Will we er eradicate the problem? No, I think what will happen is the sh it, there will be a shift. We're making it easier to have a conversation. We're making it easier to connect with the customer. Testing is making it easier to understand what you're serving as we get into unpack some of these challenges. Um, you know, be clear, we don't eat ingredients, we eat food, right? We take these things, we turn them into a meal. So there's added complexities that come up. You know, 40% of what we consume is not in our house, it's actually in restaurants in other places. So as Bridge talks about the kind of the pregnancy version of the allergy test, um, you know, 40% of the food we eat in restaurants, I can see how that becomes really applicable to a large number of people very, very quickly. 
Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to change. I think consumer demand will probably change it before technology does. I, I find it really interesting that you both of you have taken something complex like mass consumer data and something like DNA testing and simplified it and made it really accessible to the industry and consumers. And you've progressed quite a lot with your startup. So it'd be really interesting to hear from each of you what you're most proud of that you've achieved to date with your two companies. Um, yeah, I mean, as a startup, is it, there's so many things to be proud of, right? Um, the fact that we're still here is, is, is a great one. Um, but working with the likes of you know, Sainsbury's and Asda and Walmart and all these other really, really big brands with the National Health Service, um, for a startup is huge. To be powering their e-commerce, their digital capabilities, their clinical apps, um, that's a really, really big place to be. Because what it says is, you know, what we are talking about and the millions of people that we are trying to affect is absolutely real. And we can do that and they're realizing the benefit and the value of that. And, and and as we grow on that journey and we see those real customers being impacted, I mean, that's fantastic. But nothing takes away from those individual messages you get from app users, you know, who just send you this kind of really, really simple one-liner to say, thank you because mm. you've solved something so stressful, which for the rest of us, you know, there's myself included, you know, the only thing I think about when ordering food in a restaurant is taste. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but for some, it's a really, really big problem. Right. And so those messages are probably the best messages to receive. And what about you, Bridge? What are you most proud of? Uh, there is a an image you can find on the Internet if you Google it. It's called the illusion of choice, which basically depicts that uh, the majority of the world's brands are, in fact, controlled by 10 companies. Mm. And we are really proud that we're, in fact, engaged with eight of them. Wow. They have noticed us. They have noticed what we have to offer. And I am looking forward to the impact that we can make uh, to those WHO statistics I shared with you earlier on as well to reduce the number of people who suffer from uh, food poisoning and uh, those who may, for those who are fatal as well. So that's the impact we're looking for. That is some amazing impact. Thanks, guys. That's great to hear. Um, we're almost at the end of the show, actually. So I'm just going to pose a really kind of out there question for you both. So if you could click your fingers and solve your most hated food safety problem, what would that be? Number one. And then if you had free reign, how would you redesign the food industry to solve that problem? So I don't know who wants to go first. Jade? What's your biggest sure. food safety problem? Sure, May contain. Mm. Right? If you talk to customers, consumers, the biggest frustration is may contain. Two things. One, why can a manufacturer not tell us if it contains or does not contain? Two, why does it take 3,000 different ways to say it? <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, how many different ways can you spell the word nut? <laughs> right? Um, and so if we could first of all, just standardize that statement just so that there is one simple way of saying it. And second of all, if we could just explain to people what may contain actually means. Mm -hmm. And I think what you'll find is that will A, give people a lot more choice, but it also give them a lot more freedom when understanding what to do when they see the phrase may contain or the variations of that phrase. Okay, simple and effective. Bridge? For me it would be to eradicate counterfeit food because I do believe that manufacturers generally are trying their best to produce food that is uh, safe to eat. 
that when you have financial opportunities in counterfeit, then those companies who are counterfeiting are not working to the same standards. So for me to eradicate the counterfeit food that's out there, it would be a big plus. And if I could click my fingers, it would be to accelerate the technology I referred to, whereby you have a plate of food in front of you in a restaurant, let's say, Jade, and you can within a few seconds, max one minute, know whether you can eat it or not. And that's the technology we need. I really hope we get there. That sounds great. And uh, to both of you, what would be your top tips to food producers or retailers who want to be more conscious of food safety? I guess I'm going first. Yeah. Um, so brand approved, I think is really, really important. I think brands, manufacturers need to get into the space of understanding the importance of their data. And so when they're thinking of their data, not just in terms of what is it they're writing, but translated into what does the consumer infer from the information they're putting on that packet. And this is where, you know, people like us come in, right? With Food Maestro platform actually takes that data and says, here are all the different things things that the customer will infer from the information that you've put on the packet. Do you agree or not? This is not dairy free just because it's got lactite in it, right? Do you agree or not? And giving that clear message to the brand and recognizing that customers, consumers live in a data driven age mm. is, is very, very important today. What about you, Burge? What are your top tips to small food producers? Training. Mm. I came across a very large customer a restaurant chain, and we proposed a solution whereby the facilities could be cleaned and then overnight a test would be performed to confirm that the facility had been cleaned properly. And the, what I was told was that, look, we are concerned that if your test is positive for something that's not meant to be there, what will they do? And my answer was, you have to give them training. You have to teach them that if they have discovered something in the facility, whatever it might be, that they know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's for the small retailers, I think it's really understanding that, yes, there may be some problems there. And if they find them, what they have to do with it. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thanks both. Okay, guys, so we're, we're almost at the end now. So you've given us a lot of insight into both your businesses. So where can people find out more about your work and what you do? Jade? www.foodmaestro.me or go on to Sainsbury's and create a profile and you'll start seeing how those preferences materialize as you're doing to shop. Go on to Asda, use any of the search and wellness filters and you'll start to see products that you can actually consume. Um, and of course, there's a range of apps available across the app stores, Android and Google. Amazing. Right. Thanks, Jade. And Bridge? Well, since we're primarily B2B, uh, I would just recommend Googling Swiss Decode and we'll be there at the top of the page. <laughs> Great. Excellent. Thank you. So I want to thank you both. Thank you very much. This has been a really insightful uh, session and also thanks to our audience for listening. So that's it from us, from Matt and I. Thanks and uh, goodbye. Thank you both, guys. Thank you. Thank you.